You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. ...to the book of Acts. We're actually going to do something a little bit different today, in that there's going to be two little mini-sermons, if you want to call it that, uh, with an a, a interview interjected and an interview following the second one as well. But I thought this was timely, as God orchestrated things together this summer for this Sunday to be the one that we'd have the Royers visiting, that we'd have the Hoods be about to be sent out once again, and the, the Downses to be uh, sent out here in just a couple weeks to do training to eventually go to the unreached people groups of the world. Because we last week we just finished the book of Jonah, that amongst the Old Testament books of the Bible, that one has one of, if not the clearest heartbeat for the nations, that, that is wanting to teach us as God's people who've read it now for several weeks, who've studied it. This, he wants, God wants us to have this heart to see the good news go where it's never gone before. And hopefully we're not like Jonah reluctantly uh, being drug along toward that task, but that we're glad to see the good news go where it hasn't because it came to us. And I I felt that it was timely for us to be able to hear from that book of the Bible the last several weeks and God's mercy, his pity upon sinners like us and sinners all over this world, his pity and his mercy upon them. And then to have the opportunity right on the heels of that to get to, to think about and learn from our missionaries that are with us that are about to be sent out and to be in encouragement to them and their task to pray for them. thought, what a wonderful privilege. Um, I grew up uh, going to a church that really valued missions, that really valued missionaries even, uh, who had gone into the field, gone to the nations. I grew up in a very large denomination, but a very small church. And so I always heard about missionaries and was taught, hey, these people are going to this people group. They're going to this nation. Let's pray for them. Let's give to this offering or that offering to go to them. But I grew up my entire uh, life until I was an adult, I think even until I moved here, honestly, nine years ago, before I think I actually met a real-life missionary, before I actually met someone like flesh and blood who had given their life uh, to go, at least for that season, if not forever, to go somewhere new, to go where the gospel either hadn't gone or barely had gone, and to give of their life, to give of their energies to go. And so I grew up hearing about uh, and wanting to have a heart for missions and trying to, but it wasn't really until I met some of even the people that we're highlighting today, like Andy and Sarah and and others that our church have sent out and are about to send out, uh, that I really started to, to grow in my heart and my love for missions in a more intense way because I knew the people that were going. I actually knew what they were going to be doing. I knew what their strengths were, and I knew what their struggles were, and I knew what they were being called to do, and God just grew my heart. And I'm grateful that our church has, for years now, for decades now, had a heart to send people to the nations, and we want that to continue. But we want to make sure that we understand what this relationship should be like. When we actually have people from our church that we have sent out, that we are sending out, that we will send out, we want to think, what should our relationship look like? Like, what is the, should the relationship between the the people who stay be like with the people who go uh, as we identify them and equip them and get them ready to go. But also once they've already gone, once they're working in the field, what should our relationship be like? And rather than just trying to come up with a strategy on our own, we always want to go to the Bible to see uh, what it tells us to do, to not do, um, but also to read how early churches did it uh, and read passages like the ones we're going to today to see how they did these things so that we can learn from them and hopefully follow in their footsteps. So we're going 
going to uh, look at two sections from the book of Acts this morning to see how the, at least one early church did this. As they had missionaries that were in their congregation that were about to be sent out and then to come back and be resent. How did they do it? What was their relationship like? And so I want to briefly walk through two different texts. One this first time and then we'll uh, hear from Jared and Megan Hood. Then I'll share for a little bit more from the second passage. And then we'll hear from Andy and Sarah uh, before we pray for all of them this morning. But. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through, I'll read through verse 4. Uh, but what we're going to read here, and even in chapter 14, which we'll read later, it's recounting what happened in this church at Antioch, this city in the ancient world, the city of Antioch, and the early church that was starting to form there, even within, it seems like, the first several years of their existence. There were some missionaries that were sent out from their church, and then who came back to their church, and then were re-sent out. And uh, a lot of what we are even doing this morning, even as a church almost 2,000 years later. But I want us to see in these early verses how they identified them and got them ready to go. The things that they did to, to see these people from the get-go and then get them to a point of being ready to actually send them. So follow along with me in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. We'll read these and then just briefly walk back through and see a few things that they did and the ways the church related to the missionaries and then see how that might impact us and the way that we relate to missionaries. So Luke recorded this for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And so that journey began. And we, we could read much more in Acts chapter 13 about the, the, the challenges and the adversity, and the, but the, the immense blessings that came from their work as well. But I want us to pause on these couple verses to see what this church did with these men uh, in the early stages before they sent them, and see how we might be able to learn from that ourselves as we get ready to send people even today. And as we in the years to come get ready to send more people. Now, I would say that there's three things I want to point out that the church does in relation to the missionaries that it sends. Uh, it's going to be, this is going to be the first one, is that the church sees the missionaries' gifts. The church sees the missionaries' gifts. Before they ever are going to send them out to some other part of the world, the church sees the missionaries' gifts. We picked up this story at the start of Acts chapter 13, but if you were to go back even just a couple chapters to Acts chapter 11, you would read that there was this early church starting to form at Antioch. There were these Gentiles who were coming to faith, and within very short order, these two men, Saul and Barnabas, Barnabas first and then Saul, they came to this church. They came there to minister to them. They came there to teach them. You can read about it in chapter 11, verses 22 to 26. It records that these two men that eventually were going to get sent out from this church, it says that they for a whole year met with the church and taught a great many people. And so these men had been there for a while. They had come to this church. They had ministered amongst these people. They taught them. They taught them about Jesus. They taught them about following after him. They had benefited this church tremendously. 
this church at Antioch, they had gotten to see these men. They'd gotten to see the way that they lived. They'd gotten to hear the way that they taught. So they knew what they were about. They knew what they were like before they would ever consider sending them out. They'd even given them some tasks and assignments in a way. If you read the end of chapter 11, they'd sent Paul and Barnabas with these funds, this offering. This is before Brink's security and stuff like that. They had given the money to these guys to take to Jerusalem. They'd entrusted them with this task to go to Jerusalem, and then the men had come back to this church at Antioch. And what, what we can see here from this story of this church with these two missionaries, these two men in particular, is that before any church should send a missionary somewhere else, they should see their gifts operating there first. They should see that, that these men or these women are using the gifts that God's given them here. They're using them to benefit the people right around them in the church and the community that they're already in. Before we would ever want to send them to a brand new place with adversities and challenges, we need to see that they are ministering here. So the church should see the missionaries gifting. They should see them operating in the life of a church. And we have done that with the Downses and the Hoods and the Royers. We've seen them, whether it was years ago or in recent years, we've seen their gifts. We've seen the way that they minister to us as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We've seen ways that their heart for the nations is for the people even here, the people in our community that don't know Christ. It's not just for some people halfway around the world, but for people even here. I have learned from these three couples a lot, and I know that many in our church have. So first, the church should see missionaries' gifts. They should see those things operating in the life of the church. But what you see in the text that we read today, the second thing I would say is that the church should sense the missionary's calling. And I hear how I say it. The church should sense the missionary's calling. Uh, what happens in this text, there's these, these prophets and teachers that are part of this church, and uh, it seems like the whole church is gathered together. And it says that they, Luke says that they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And then it says that the Holy Spirit says something to them. We don't know if it was some audible voice or if it was something internal that grew in confirmation to them as a group. But clearly the Spirit is speaking to the church. He's speaking to the church and telling the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so when this calling comes, this, this desire of the Holy Spirit to send these people to a new place, to see them spread the gospel farther, it comes not just to them as individuals in the privacy of their, their homes or wherever they were staying, just in the privacy of their own minds, as if, okay, God's called me, and I'm just going to tell you guys God's called me to do this, or God's called me to do that. But God speaks by the Holy Spirit to the church. He says, set apart these men. I've called them to this task. I'm, I want to send them out. Verse 4 even says that he does send them out. The Holy Spirit sends them out. But the voice, the, the calling is sensed by the whole church. It's not just a private affair where, where somebody has this message from God that God's told me to do this and then everybody else just needs to fall in line. But it, it, it's, it, it, he can work that way. I think that's how he called me into ministry was that there was this internal sense that I had of God calling me to ministry. But no one should ever launch into any sort of ministry if the Spirit is not also speaking that to others in the church. If the Spirit's not confirming that to the gathered church, yes, set this person apart. Set this couple apart. Set this team of people apart. The, the calling of a missionary is not just some individual affair. It's something that comes to the whole church and the people who know these people, who've observed them. And it should be something that is affirmed by the whole group, that is affirmed by the whole church. The church should sense the missionary's calling. There are no, I would say it this way, there are no self-proclaimed missionaries. 
that just say, I'm going to be a missionary. God's told it to me, and I don't care what everybody else thinks. The, the Spirit speaks to the believers around that person as well. He, he confirms what maybe he's working in their heart uh, through the church, the brothers and sisters who see them and have experience that they don't and can see things maybe sometimes in them for the good or for challenge and ill that they don't see. We need the body of Christ when it comes to vetting someone's calling. And so we've done that with these couples. It wasn't just that the Royers or the Hoods or the Downs that said, hey, guys, I'm going to go do this. Get behind me. No, they, they had these inclinations. They had these heartbeats to go to certain places, to, to minister to certain types of people, to use their gifts in certain types of ways. And they talked with us, and they prayed with us. And sometimes there's even fasting involved, like they did here in Acts 13, where we prayed and sought the Lord, and we thought increasingly, yes, we want these folks to go to this ministry. We sense, they have sensed, but we sense as well the spirits calling them to this particular work. And this is so important because we don't want missionaries out on the field who are just there because they wanted to. But people who are there because the church has wanted them to. That they have a community of people who've sent them. That will give them endurance. That will give them encouragement, hopefully, as they go into difficult places to know that the church sensed their calling. That it was not just something they heard and maybe got wrong, but it was something that the church affirmed. So the church sees the missionary's gifts. The church senses the missionary's calling. And the third one I'd say before we have the hoods come up and share is this that we see in this text is very simply that the church sends the missionaries. The church sends the missionaries. Verse 4, did you note that I referenced this already? But it said that the, these men, Saul, who comes to be known as Paul later, and Barnabas, they are sent out by the Holy Spirit, Luke says in verse 4. But verse 3 says that after fasting and praying, this church laid their hands on these brothers, and they, they sent them off. The church sent them off. So the Spirit was sending them, but the church was sending them as well. They prayed for them. They laid their hands on them, even as we're going to get to do later this morning. And they prayed for them, and they sent them off. This church, I'm, I'm encouraged as I was reading this this week, this church was a young church. It had only probably been in existence several years at max, and they were already seeking to send people. They're already seeking to say, hey, these are our best people that are here with us right now, Saul and Barnabas, but we want to send them. And they were glad to do it. They were glad to pray for them and say, we want you to go. We want you to go reach these places that don't yet know the gospel. And the church was behind them. There's no self-proclaimed missionaries, but there's also no self-sent missionaries. No missionaries are just free agents that go and do what they want. They are sent ideally by a local church. I would know for you, who is being sent here? Paul. This is an apostle. Like someone the resurrected Jesus had made a point to meet with on the road. And he is saying to this young church that's been around several years that he has taught, I need to be sent by you. Like, I need people behind me to send me, to support me, to encourage me. He doesn't just say, hey, church. And there are times that he takes a little more liberty, I know. But in this case, he is sent by the church. The church sends even an apostle. And how much more when we have missionaries today? I love these brothers and sisters, but they are not apostles. Uh, when they are sent out from our church, they need to be sent. And every missionary this way needs to be sent out by a church that loves them, that commends them, that prays for them. They represent us where they are in ministry. And they know that. I talk with them about this. We need to remember that. That we have sent them. And I'll talk about this more when I come back up in a few minutes. But we have sent them. 
And we need to remember that. Because I know it's on their heart, but they need to be on our hearts. We need to be people who are praying for them, people who are seeking to encourage them, people who are even giving economically to support their mission, people who are having them on our hearts, on our minds, on our lips before the Lord. We need to remember that we have sent them. They are in different places around the globe, but they are part of the church here. They are part of the body here that happens to be serving elsewhere. I'm going to invite Jared and Megan, if you wouldn't mind coming up. This, Paul and Barnabas, this was the second time that this church had sent them out. They had sent them out first to go to Jerusalem. They had entrusted them with a lot of money uh, and an offering to take to Jerusalem. Uh, this is the second time we're about to send you. So it's kind of like resending you guys to uh, just like it was with Paul and Barnabas. This church had known them. They had entrusted certain tasks to them. And now they had the privilege to resend them. And we've gotten to see these things in you all. We've seen your gifts years ago and even in recent years as we've heard about how you're ministering overseas. Uh, we have helped sense your calling with you, uh, and that's been confirmed, I think, even in practice the last several years. And we get to, in a sense, resend you today as you get headed back to Africa. But some folks may not have been here when you were first sent out. They may have missed the Sunday in December when you all shared. So I was curious if first you wouldn't mind taking a minute or two to share who you are, what you're about to launch back into, like what the ministry is, what's in store the next several months and even the next few years for you guys. Well, good morning, church. We are so thankful to have this last Sunday to worship with you before we head out on Wednesday. Um, we are Jared and Megan Hood, as Pastor Mark shared, and we serve with Africa Inland Mission. We have been on the field since 2012 now, and when we return this Wednesday, we'll be returning to East Africa, um, back to Tanzania to work among the Rangi people. There are people that we worked with for the first half of our ministry, um, and so we're excited to be able to return back to them. They, um, as we've mentioned before, but if you haven't heard, they're a large people group, about 500,000, predominantly Muslim, mostly in central Tanzania. Um, and when we go back, we will be working with a team of new missionaries and seeking to share the gospel with them. Part of our role um, will be to help train up our new missionaries, uh, to teach them how to learn a language and build relationships, um, to learn how, what it is to be a missionary. Um, so we'll be doing that with them. And then as a team, we'll just be seeking to build relationships with our neighbors so that we can share Christ with them. Um, we are super excited to be returning. We're um, at that point where we're, we're grieving and we're saying our goodbyes and having our lasts. But um, the Rangi are people that the Lord has really placed on our hearts and given us a love for. And so we are thrilled that he's opened up the door once again for us to go back. Um, we can't wait to see how he's going to move and what he's going to do over the next four, four years. Um, and we look forward to the chance to be able to bring that back to you and share those stories um, of how he's working. So what, uh, what have been things, I'll ask two questions. One is kind of looking back over recent past. One is kind of looking ahead of the future. Be curious what things have been encouraging to you, whether it's in your previous ministry or even in your time that you've been home uh, for these last several months. But also what sort of things as you go back are you eager for, excited about? We know your heart, broadly speaking, but what sort of things are you excited about uh, on the horizon in the days yeah, ahead? Yes. Um, when you had emailed us to think about uh, what to share, uh, what came to me was um, we are blessed to be a blessing. And Christ's Covenant Church, um, let me share with you that God has blessed this church. As I reflect, even today, we have missionaries going out into missionary training. We have pre-field trainers for missionaries. 
and then we are on-field trainers of missionaries. I mean, a whole missionary preparation is represented in this room today just by three, by this one church alone, not to, mission, not to mention all the other missionaries this church sends. And I was just thinking what a blessing God has bestowed on this church with the uh, preaching, uh, I mean, the spiritual growth that I have had here in uh, this past year on a home assignment, I feel like we're fed spiritually, and we are like going back. We're not, we we're not weary. We're going back encouraged and strong. So that's something that comes to my mind um, is, is that this past home assignment has been so encouraging for us, and you guys have been a part of that, and I wanted to say thank you for ministering to us and sending us Again, uh, we are looking forward. One of the things that I'm excited about is that um, the point in the Rongi Church is very exciting right now because um, the New Testament translation will be finished next year at the same time that, the, that we will be receiving the team. And so we'll have the Word of God translated. Um, what, that is a step ahead a lot of other um, people groups. And not only that, there in the Kandoa, the town we're moving to, uh, there's already a small house church of Muslim background believers that are meet, that are meeting, and uh, I'm excited to go in and, and encourage them and um, come alongside them. So that's what I'm excited about. And um, uh, what Pastor Mark said, I will I want to reiterate: we are an extension of your ministry, and what a privilege it is. Um, God doesn't need us to do that, but, but he has called us, and what a privilege we get to participate with him. So praise God for that. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. I want to ask Steve one more. Yes. Amen. I uh, want to ask uh, how we can pray for you. Uh, there's different ways we can encourage you all while, we're, while you're away. We can give of our gifts. We can uh, seek to maybe encourage you through written means, things like that. But one of the immense ways we can bless you that you might not even know is pray for you whether it's in these next couple weeks as you guys have some transitionary time as you've had to try to acquire some languages or as you do eventually head back into Kondoa and yeah. to the Rangi people what are some things in the near future and even maybe eventually as the spirit calls you to mind that we could pray for you when we're together when we're in private at home what are ways we could pray yes. for you guys um, last weekend we said goodbye to Megan's um, family and uh, as we were driving home in the car, uh, our four-and-a-half-year-old four daughter, Adeline, started to, to cry. And uh, she went on for about five minutes and just sharing, I don't want to leave. I don't want to have to go to Tanzania. I, um, I don't want to, she said it, I don't want to leave the funness, Dad. And it pulled on my heartstring as a dad. And one of the things that I was thinking um, how do I minister to her as a dad with one coping with the grief of the transition which is normal and her feelings are normal and I don't want to squash that but also want to give her hope in that in that understanding that we don't do our decisions based on how we feel we serve a Lord who is our master and he has a good plans for us whether they're difficult or not and, and it and so, um, I guess for us to remember the blessing that we have received, 
to extend his fame, it, we, he has to be famous in our hearts. So as far as prayer for us, that reminding us and that we would, we would um, remember um, his fame in our own hearts because that will help us to share with others. Um, another thing, I guess, would be the, uh, for the Rangi's hearts to be open. Um, uh, a large part of the work is actually on the prayers of those who are supporting us. And um, a human being like us, we, can't, we don't have the power to change the heart of man. Of course, we are obedient to share the good news that we have, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit to make that change. So a large part of the work or heavy lifting is actually your prayers, and that's a very good point. Uh, so praying for the Rangi's hearts to be open to the word of God and to come to repentance and to follow Christ as their Savior. Thank you. Yes. The other one that comes to mind for me is uh, just for our team, specifically for unity and also for boldness as we share the gospel. Um, it's, it's funny. You can have a team of people all called and, um, you know, feeling that, like the Lord has taken them to serve among the Rangi, and yet that's an area where um, the enemy would love to get in and... Um, wiggle around. Uh, so we just would really love prayers for unity, even now before we've even met each other face to face, that he would be going before us and just giving, giving us unity, grace for one another, the ability to forgive. Um, and then also just obviously a continued boldness that as we are um, learning the language and building relationships with our neighbors, that just everything that we do and say would be pointing to Christ um, and his fame. Amen. Amen. Can you all give them a round of applause? We will pray for them. You guys can have a seat. We will pray for them uh, more extensively here in just a few minutes. But I'm grateful for you, Jared and Megan. Uh, I uh, hear nothing but good things about your ministry. And I'm encouraged that as you have served these first several years, that your agency, even those who've seen you uh, in action on the field, have been encouraged to entrust the team to you and to say, hey, we want new people who are new and even considering missions to come and learn from you. That's evidence of God's work in your life. And I'm excited to see how God will form that team and I'm hoping and I would encourage you all to pray that some of these team members who are going to be working with them the next couple years that they would actually have a heart to stay and that there would be people who would say hey we want to be in this for the long haul with Jared and Megan to reach these uh, fellow human beings here in this place for the gospel so they only have a few days the downs have a couple week or a week and a half they got a couple days so make sure you hug on them today uh, you give encouragement to them before they uh, head out even this Wednesday to head back to Africa. We're grateful for you. I uh, want you to turn to Acts 14 with me, and I'm going to share a little bit more, and then we'll hear from the Royers, and then we're going to pray for these folks and, and pray for the Lord's work in them and through them and even through us as their church, as their sending church in the days ahead. But if you scan through Acts 13 and 14, you can do this sometime if you'd like. You can scan through and see what Saul and Barnabas did, what, the, what it was that they were being sent out by this church to do. It was not for the faint of heart. Like, there were some really exciting things, but there are stonings involved. There's threats on Paul's life where he even comes near to death. This was not just some light, sort of fun trip for them to go on. This was intense work of God to take the gospel to places that had never gone before, uh, to take this message of Jesus to Gentile cities, to places like Seleucia and Cyprus and Perga, this other city named Antioch, and a different place, a city called Iconium and Lystra, Derby. There's many conversions, many churches that were started through the work of these two men, of Saul and Barnabas. Uh, 
But we come to the end of Acts 14. I found this fascinating as I, I read this the last week or two, that eventually uh, they come back to Antioch. Saul and Barnabas, after they've done their circuit, after they've done an immense amount of work on God's behalf, they come back to the place that sent them. Uh, they come back to this church that set them apart and prayed for them. So I want to read for you the end of Acts 14, uh, verses 24 through 28. And I think even as we read this and what happened in this time frame between uh, these missionaries and between the church that sent them, there's things we can learn about our relationship with the people that we send out. And so follow along with me, verses 24 through 28 of Acts 14. It says that, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. I love this. I, I was so encouraged to read this and see the relationship between these two men, these rock stars of, of missionary work who come back to the humble church that sent them. And they report big things about what God's done and the, the challenges that they faced and the adversity that the Spirit enabled them to overcome. And I think there's three things we can see about missionaries and their relationship with the church here in this text. The first one I would say is this, very simply, is that missionaries return to their church. Uh, in some way, shape, or form, missionaries return to their church. You, you see this in this text quite literally. Uh, and, and think about this. this. In this ancient world, the city of Antioch, would probably, the people there in that church may have had little to no idea what was going on with Saul and Barnabas for the months that they were out going into these towns and into these regions and being threatened and having all these things happen to them. They would have had probably no ability or very little to actually know what was going on. They would have been in the dark, so to speak. And then all of a sudden, Saul and Barnabas come back. That uh, They come back to this church. And rather than just always going further, always going to the next place, always going into blazing new territory, Paul and Barnabas on purpose make a circuit back to the place that sent them. They come back there on purpose. Although they, they could have, I guess, uh, continued to go, they come back to the place that sent them. They circle back to where they began. And I think this is important for us to remember, even if missionaries just come back for a short visit, for a day, or for a furlough for several months, or they, they come for longer seasons to see what the Lord may have in store. It's important for us to remember that when missionaries are sent out from our church, they don't become just detached from us. They don't become just people who now just make decisions on their own, but they come back to us. They, they want to, and I know this is the heart of all of our missionaries, every single one, when I get to talk to them, they want us to know what's going on. They want us to know the things that are encouraging to them. They want us to know the things that are challenges to them. And it is difficult. I know when there's hundreds of people in a church and there's numerous missionaries we sent out, it can be difficult to stay abreast of all these things. But if these apostles were coming back, these missionaries were coming back to their church to tell them what happened, then that's instructive to us as the stayers. That we should have a heart for them to come back on Sundays like today when they're here. And when we get newsletters and we get to do calls with them, we get updates from them. We ought to be waiting to hear that. We ought to be anxious to hear those things and to praise God with them and to intercede for them as we hear those things. They ought not to be out of sight, out of mind. But as they physically return to the church, we should have a longing for that, a desire to see them, to encourage them. 
I have loved having the hood with us the last several months. I have loved uh, having the Downs in my life group the last numerous months to hear their heart. I love getting to see Andy and Sarah. It's Andy's birthday today, by the way. Uh, so note that when you speak to him. He's even here on his birthday, uh, their family, uh, to worship with us and to share with us. I, am, I love getting to see them, and it, it's hard to keep up with all of them to the same degree that I like. But as a church, when there's hundreds of us, ought we not to be able to care for them well? We, if each of us took some investment uh, in one of them or in a couple, we could be such an encouragement to them. So we see that missionaries return to the church that sent them. I look forward a year from now to having Kyle and Val come back and share with us what they have learned from Radius and what God has put in their hearts of more specifically where to go in the world. I, I long for these things. But we see next in this text that the missionaries recount God's work. They return to the church that sent them, but they also recount the work that God has done. It says, Luke records us that they gathered the church together. So not just their friends, but the whole church they gathered together. And they declare, it says, all that God had done with them. That's what Luke says. And so when missionaries come, whether it's in short snippets of interviews or in more conversations they get to have you, they want to proclaim what God's done through them. The things that he's working through them to do amongst people groups that are unreached, amongst equipping people who are going to go. They want to recount what God has done, and we ought to long to hear that from them. It's not just reports to praise them and and clap for them, but to, to know what God is doing, to know what he's doing through them as he seeks to make Jesus known. And that's why what we're trying to do today is give a little window to recount what God's done to encourage, to get ready to to work through them in recent days and the days ahead is that missionaries are recounting God's work. And we ought to love hearing that and celebrate that. The last thing I would say that we see in this text, and you even see it unfold as the book of Acts rolls on, is that not just that missionaries return to their church and that they recount God's work, but we also see that they re-engage in their work. That, that often what happens after a missionary comes home for a, a visit or for a short season is that they're not done doing work internationally. They're not done doing work amongst unreached peoples. But they're get, they may be retooling or getting refueled or re-energized to go and re-engage again. To either go back to the place they have been or to go like Paul and Barnabas do to new places. Uh, they are often getting just geared up by the Spirit through our work and an engagement with them to re-engage to go back, to go to blaze a new trail. And you see this when you read through Acts. If you read just the next chapter of Acts 15, you see that after Paul and Barnabas had been at this church of Antioch, they send them out again. They send them to Jerusalem for this thing called the Jerusalem Council. And you see at the end of chapter 15 that they sent, after they even came back from Jerusalem, they send them out again. The church sends them out again to go back to some of the churches that they'd started, some of the churches that they had built up. You see them send and resend and resend. And so when missionaries get to come home, whether it's for a day or for a week or for a month or for a year, uh, we ought to be having in our minds, we want to help them get ready to re-engage. We ought to care for their souls. We ought to hear from them. We ought to celebrate with them. But we ought to not just hang on to them. That is an encouragement for me to hear that although there's heart that breaks to leave, that you are seeking to guide your family to say, we want to go back. Like there's a greater cause. And we ought to stir that up in you all. Like we ought to, as a church, encourage you to say, 
you need to go back. The Spirit wants you to go back. We're excited to see you go, even though we know it's hard for you. Like, we ought to have in our hearts a desire to see missionaries re-engage, not just to come back to stay for some R&R, although that can be helpful, but to be ready to go back, restored, ready to share the gospel further. We should be kind of like a gas station for the people. I stopped at a few of those this week going on a trip where... Um, we are here with them. We can talk with them. We can engage with them. We can be encouraged by where they've been, but we're also helping them either get back to where they're going or to go to a new place. And we want to be fuel for them. We want to give life to them while they're here with us to get them ready and to remember the good news that they get to proclaim and the, the, the privilege of the work that they get to do. And so I want to invite Andy and Sarah, if you wouldn't mind coming up here. Uh, Andy and Sarah, actually, I mentioned this at the beginning, but you all have been instructive to me personally in the years that I've known you uh, and gotten to know you even when Andy worked here. You all can stand on this side. It's not been used yet. Uh, but uh, they, you all have been an example to me even when you were actively living here and working here and members. You are members here, but members locally living here. I was so encouraged and blessed um, by your example, your heart for the nations. Um, but some of these folks don't know you. They may have heard us pray for you, but they may be newer to our church, have no idea as you stand up here who you are or what you're doing, although we want to get better at that, of being aware. Could you share a little bit kind of who you are, where you are in the world, uh, what you're doing, what God has you guys doing right now? That'd be great. Happy birthday, by the way, to you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, we serve with Ethnos 360, and it is a mission that... Uh, plants churches among unreached people groups, and we were serving in Brazil for uh, about four years and needed to come back and take care of some things, and so we were reassigned to try to fit as many re things in here as possible. Andy knows I um, like that. I know your heart language there with the re. You're such a good missionary. <laughs> I'm just contextualizing here. <laughs> so we got reassigned to a training uh, Bible Institute in Milwaukee, just outside of Milwaukee in Waukesha. And so it's Ethnistry 60's Bible Institute. And it's the first two years of training for tribal church planners. And so uh, I teach Bible there day in and day out to missionary candidates. A lot of our mission, a lot of our students go on with our own mission, with other mission organizations. Some of them go back to their churches. And so that's kind of their first two years. And then their next phase would be like what um, Kyle and Val are doing with language and cultural acquisition. So... That's kind of what we're doing. We live right on campus with students. Uh, our students are a portion of them right out of high school. Some of them are post-college. Some of them are second career. So they're kind of a wide range of ages. We live right on campus with them and lots of opportunities for interaction and uh, prayer groups and mentoring groups and premarital counseling. And so we just have high involvement with, with our students even outside of the classroom. Yeah. I've, I've gotten to witness that I went up last fall and spent a day or two with them. It was cool to see, even when all the students weren't on campus, the ones that were there to see the way that they loved you and came to your guys' apartment. And uh, I appreciate that. I, I could tell very quickly from being there, it wasn't just a classroom uh, that you were teaching in, but that you're seeking to invest in these people and do it in real life with them. I'll ask you uh, kind of like what I was asking the hood, trying to think either like recent past or as you look ahead to the future, what sort of things have been in your work, um, whether formally or informally, like what things have been encouraging to you that you would say, hey, this is my little chance to recount a little bit of God's work that's been exciting uh, and encouraging. And as you look ahead to the 
near-term future? What sort of things are on the horizon that you're looking forward to, that are energizing to you? Um, that's a complicated question right oh, there. Oh, no, that's so great. Multi-layered. Um, yeah, no, we, um, man, it just occurred to us rolling into town yesterday that we um, moved away six years ago, and yep. it just feels like time has flown. We had, our oldest was in fourth grade, and now he's going into 10th, so it's just a lot has happened in those he's last six years. Too, he's learning to drive, so watch out. We, <laughs> yeah. <Stop>. No. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, we... I think just being a part of the training has been really uh, just cool to see now that uh, we're catching on Instagram feeds or Facebook. We're seeing people in their dugout canoes just get, building their huts out in the jungle, and they're just out, and they're former students. They're out there doing it, and we just remember many talks around a cup of coffee and then just now, like, seeing them venturing out. All, all over and so that's really encouraging for us just it helps with you know the day-to-day -day responsibilities that we have it, it just we just have that perspective like um, there's just more to, to what what's happening and that this it's not just ending here but it's cool to see them go on from that um, I'd say just that has been really neat to I mean even seeing them firsthand last year in Brazil, we went to a tribe where um, two couples that were former students have um, just recently built their house and they're plugging away with language learning. And so just, um, that just fuels, fuels us, I guess. And um, we're just so grateful too, just to come back and you guys feel like family and <clears throat> just so many of our friends here, we're just really thankful for your, being with us on this journey and just investment into this ministry. So thank you guys. Like, um, I just love how, what you're saying about just coming back and saying, this is what God's doing, but he's doing it through you because we couldn't do this on our own. So thanks for the opportunity to share what you guys are a part of. Good. Could you share, that's awesome. Can you share a little bit? There's kind of some shifts going on with the school and some unique challenges this year coming up. Good things. But would you mind sharing a little bit? Give us a little snapshot into your school and sure. influx of students and what that's going to look like for you so we can pray for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've had two, two Bible institutes for the last 40, 50 years, uh, one in Michigan, one in Wisconsin. And um, we're closing the one in Michigan uh, starting this next year. And so what that means for us is we're consolidating onto our campus, and so we're just going to double in size student-wise. No big deal. And <laughs> so, but the challenge is the, the new students will come now in August, like next month, but we don't get any of their staff till the following August. So That's nice. like, I double the students and not double the staff. So it just means classroom sizes are going from like 65 to like 120. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to fit them all in. So there's tons of logistics from we don't have enough parking spaces or our dining room doesn't fit everybody and our chapel barely fits and that type of stuff. And then for me personally, it's more like, okay, how do I teach this class? You know, does this illustration still work? Do I need to do different assignments? How do I engage with students? And can I handle the grading for that many or, or whatever it might be? So this year is just going to be very challenging for me uh, as a Bible teacher, wanting to do it with excellence, but how to do it differently in, in just a larger context. So 
definitely be praying for us as we figure out all the details, sure. but then just for us, me personally also, or lot. us personally. Yeah. What would be some, would there be additional things we could pray for you? We're going to pray for you all and the other folks here in just a minute, actually, but would there be other things as you all come to mind, days ahead, uh, months ahead, things we could pray for you, your family, your school? Yeah. Um, I think we always we always ask for the Lord to bring strong missionary candidates. Um, they come from all different types of churches, all different types of backgrounds, all different types of spiritual health, and uh, we just understand that um, we're not we're not trying to fill the room with warm bodies. Like we want spiritually strong, vigorous men and women who God's uh, who walk with the Lord, and so that's that's always our prayer. God, please send us missionary candidates who are walking with the Lord, who are strong, who are vigorous, who are going to who are going to carry on on this task and who are going to do this. And so uh, that's always our prayer. Lord, send us more missionaries. Uh, send us vigorous and strong men and women um, who are strong in the Lord, strong in his spirit. So that's always one of our first prayer requests. And then the second one is similar to what Jared said, is we, c- we can do our stuff. We can, we can meet and we can pray and we can teach. But we understand that it's God's spirit who who gives wisdom. It's God's spirit who enables, it allows them to see. So we teach God's word, but we understand that the power lies when God applies it in their hearts and lives. And, um, and that's not something we can do. And so we're always asking for wisdom and we're asking for the spirit's work um, in every step of our ministry as well. And the last thing is just... Um, for the balance and the wisdom, the grace for God to give us as we parent teenagers and kids and, um, and for a family to have family time in the middle of, you know, a busy campus and lots of activities that could be happening and deciding always what's the best activities and, and what's, what's not, what do we say no to, to say yes to something else. And so we just always pray for that wisdom and balance, um, because in a very real way, um, although they didn't sign up necessarily for this, they are our partners in this ministry, our, our boys, yeah. and um, they're a real part of it. Yeah. And so um, we volunteer them for many things, and yet we, um, we at the same time want to uh, give to them yeah. um, as well. So just praying for that whole dynamic yeah. and that whole balance. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I can take that mic. You guys stay right here for a minute. I'm glad you mentioned that because I meant to say something about how grateful I am for each of these three families. Each have children uh, that are part of their families that go with them, uh, that that's not a negotiable thing. And as a church, we've been recently articulating that we have a heart for the nations uh, to send people to the nations, but also a heart for the generations, the people that are coming behind us in age. And like you boys and the others, they're not in this room, but you embody that more than anybody to me, that your family has a heart for the nations. But we have a heart for you as generations coming behind them to know the same Savior that your parents know and that they're serving. And so I'm grateful for you all and your willingness to take them with you. And I know these boys, I, I've been encouraged by them the little bit I get to hang around them and encouraged by the young ones represented on this side of the room too. But keep them in mind as you pray uh, for missionaries too. I'm going to invite the Downses and Hoods to come up here. We, we'll spread out on this side of the stage. So Downses, if you guys could come about right here, I'll, I'll do a little traffic guiding right here. Downs, if you guys want to come here. Uh, Hoods, you guys want to come about right here. If you guys wouldn't mind sliding a little bit that way. Uh, we're going to do here in just a moment what 
uh, the church at Antioch did, where they took time and they had people from their church lay hands upon those that they were about to send out, and they prayed for them. It's nothing magical, but it's a, it's intended to be just a tan- a, quite literally a tangible reminder to you all of our love for you, our support of you, and for us. Remember that we're part of this as well. They're not physically detached from us uh, as we pray for them. We're literally uh, laying hands upon them to pray for them as a reminder to us that we're part of this work together. And so we've asked a handful of folks for each of these couples uh, to come up and pray with us for them. So if that's you, if you're in that category, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and come up uh, here. And if you want to kind of get behind these folks, around the side of them, whoever you are coming up to to pray with, would encourage you to go ahead and make your way. Just be careful on these steps. These represent folks who are friends of them, family of them. Some are life group members. We're trying as a church to increasingly have uh, life groups that either these folks have been part of or that are uh, adopting them in a sense to, to keep up with them and to care for them. And so there's various people represented on these stages. But by having a bunch of them up here, I did not want you all to think you're not part of this. So uh, we are all going to be encouraged to pray for them. We're going to have one person pray aloud for each of these folks. Uh, but we're going to have some prompts on the screen while they're praying uh, that are some of the things that they even mentioned this morning, some ways that you could be praying for them uh, that uh, would encourage you to be praying in your own mind and spirit now and even in these days ahead as they get ready to either go or to return uh, or to be resent to where they're going. So 